Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. of All Marine Radio on a Friday. I now have both my COVID shots. That's right. And I recorded today's segment yesterday just in case I, you know, just in case the uh, the shot, like, jacked me up. Because I was told by a lot of people, oh, yeah, it really screwed my brother up. You know, he had it. I, you know, so-and-so. I was down for a week after I had it. I was like, Wow. Wow. So I recorded the segment with Kim and Greg, and uh, <laughs> and I'm fit as a fiddle. Yeah, no impact, no idea. So the, uh, yeah, so uh, you got that going for you. COVID free. That's right. COVID free. Now, listen to this shit, okay? <laughs> this, this, let me just tell you, the, I, the world, like, is so fucked up, right? We, everybody knows that. If, if you paid all attention to the news, you know how fucking batshit crazy uh, the world is. And uh, in my opinion, uh, George Soros responsible for a lot of this bullshit. Um, George Soros funding. I don't know why he focuses on getting um, district attorneys elected around the country, but he does. That's what happened here in Los Angeles. And they're trying to guy's been in office for, I don't know, you know, for like two months and they're trying to recall him already. It's like, get out of jail. Yeah, I mean, there's guys in prison that are posting vi- uh, uh, videos on Twitter, right? Saying, Thank God that guy's in office, man. I'm out. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But uh, but here's here's the uh, breaking news this morning. This is in the Washington Post right now. 
the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, says three feet between students is enough. Yeah, I'll read that again. Okay. I'll read that I'll read that again. You You heard that right? <laughs> exactly. What? Right? CDC, that would stand for Center for Disease Control, says three feet between students is enough. That story broke eighteen minutes ago in the Washington Post. The center the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention revised its guidelines for schools Friday, saying three feet of distance between students is sufficient for all elementary and many middle and high schools, a change that lays the groundwork for district to reopen full-time for in-person classes. Last month, the CDC recommended that schools maintain six feet of distance between people when it issued much-awaited guidelines for school. To achieve that, the agency said schools in most of the country should limit the number of students in the building at any given time and hold off on fully reopening. That recommendation came under fire from from many experts as overly cautious, particularly as more evidence emerged that schools were safely operating with people closer to one another. Nonetheless, with the guidance in place, many systems adopted hybrid systems where students are in school buildings part of the time and learning from home the rest. That's, that would be my daughter. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said earlier this week that her agency was reconsidering its stance on more data becoming available. Quote, CDC is committed to leading with science and updating our guidance as new evidence emerges, she said on Friday. These updated recommendations provide the evidence-based roadmap to help schools reopen safely and re- remain open for in-person instruction. But this change is sharply opposed by the country's two largest teacher unions who argue that there is scant research about the impact of closer contact in urban schools where buildings are older, because that makes a difference, yeah, and classrooms are more crowded. We need to make sure that before we do any changing or easing up of mitigation strategies that we are making sure we have evidence from those diverse populations. Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association. The National Education Association, man, I hope they get their shit clipped at the end of all of this. Unbelievable. The the CDC said Friday that most of the school-based infections have been between adults or between students and staff. Therefore, it recommends six feet of distance between students and their teachers and among teachers and staff But the CDC said the rules can be relaxed student to student. For elementary schools, it said three feet of distance among students is sufficient no matter what the infection rates are in the surrounding community. Young children are much less likely to have severe cases of COVID-19. And some research suggests they spread the coronavirus less efficiently than adolescents and teens. The recommendations are more complex for middle and high schools and depend on which of four levels of community transmission are present in the surrounding area. At the lowest levels, at the three lowest levels, the CDC says six feet of distance is sufficient. At the highest tier, the agency recommends six feet, meaning schools would likely have to stay on their hybrid system. 
The agency says secondary schools can drop the standard to three feet, but only if they're able to keep students in cohorts, which limits interaction among small groups. That is difficult to do in middle and high school, where students typically typically mix up into different groups depending on the course. So what was the basis of six feet to begin with? Hmm. Makes you wonder, right? So <clears throat> this this world we live in where, like, reporting is devoid of facts, right? Where the, um, so we, and, and I'll, I'll use the thing that just happened in Atlanta, the horrible incident. So if you haven't subscribed to Glenn Greenwald yet, you should. G-L-E-N-N-G-R-E-E-N-W-A-L-D. Now, he's a liberal writer. Okay? And so Greenwald, yesterday, puts out a couple tweets. And I'll, I'll read them to you. First one he puts out, he retweets, right? And what he retweets is from a person whose Twitter name is Alice's Days Are Numbered, right? And what she writes is this. She, she retweets something, she, but she writes this, daily reminder that your narrative should build on facts, not the other way around. So the other way around is, right, you built your narrative, right, then you go in search for facts that support your narrative. That's agenda-driven journalism, and that's what you have in this country. Right? Yesterday, I, I, I read most of a piece that, much of a piece that, that Glenn Greenwald wrote about just the out-and-out bullshit that gets passed off in the American media. And then months after an election, right, oh, yeah, that was false. It was completely false. Doesn't really matter, though. We've already had the election. So... As Nancy Pelosi says, they will do what they will do. It's not it's not up to people in leadership positions. It's not not it's it's not up to responsible individuals to call this shit out. They will do what they will do. Anyway, she this woman Alice's days are numbered, who writes daily reminder that your narrative should build on facts, not the other way around. Right, that's what she writes. But she retweets this. This is from a guy named Will Carlos, who's out of Atlanta. Latest, I spoke with two former housemates of hashtag Atlanta spa shooter, Robert Aaron Long. They said he attended rehab for sex addiction and felt merciless remorse for frequenting massage parlors. Okay, evidently that story appeared in USA Today. All right, here's the second thing he he retweets from Alice's Days Are Numbered, right? Based on the evidence we have so far, what you saw in Atlanta was the murder of sex workers by a man who hates women for tempting him. A classic pathology that's killed thousands of sex workers. Not a racial hate crime, except in some incidental way. So, that's the evidence-based opinion, which which is irrelevant in the United States today. Now, I'm going to give you 
I'm going to give you another great look all right, at, um, at another incident that has been much in the news the last 24 hours, and that is where this all takes us. So you have <clears throat> the newly named editor of Teen Vogue before she really takes the position, right? She's forced to resign her position. And um, and the story is, right, the story is when she was 17, she, she has a Twitter account. And she uses the term terms fags in one, I guess, tweet. And I guess she used that term more than once. Now, remember, at the age of 17. And then she used the term slant eyes as well. And then there's a picture of her with, with a series of tweets. Right, One of them says this, outdone by Asian, hashtag what's new. Next tweet is this, now Googling how not to wake up with swollen Asian eyes. Okay, next tweet, give me a 210 on my chem problem, I guess 2 out of 10. Cross out all of my work and don't explain what I did wrong. Thanks a lot, stupid Asian teacher's assistant, you're great. So, series of tweets, right? Um, and then she, and again, she uses the term fag. So now, she's now, what, 27? She could be the editor of Vogue. She's apologized for, for uh, when these things surfaced. Somebody went back into her Twitter account, right, as they do, to research everything you've ever done. And they find these things, and she gets outed for it. And she's been, I think she worked at Axios. She's been, she she apologized for it and said, hey, that's not who I am anymore. I was stupid. I was mad. Right. And, uh, and so nothing in her professional life reflects any of that. And yet, is she done? That's the world we live in today. Now we're talking about things you did when you were 17. You know, I talked about a while ago, I talked about stuff uh, bullying a kid who was going to play hockey in college did when he was 14, 15. Got the newspaper, got a scholarship taken away. Yeah. He's now playing in Russia with everything that entails as an 18-year-old. Yeah, that's good. Right? That's good. And, and we're okay with that. And so... Uh, you know, this thing evidently will have to run its course in American culture. But it's just, it's 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 sick shit. That you're held accountable for the stupid shit you do when you're 17. Thank, hey, let me tell you, thank God that they didn't have Twitter when I was 17. Yeah. Right? No shit. That you would be held up and you'd have to pay for that for the rest of your life. And, you know, these sanctimonious fucks that burn it down on people like this, you don't think they have this shit in their past? 
Yeah, they do. Nobody's found it. Or they didn't put it on Twitter. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's just astounding. And to me, the two issues, right, a complete lack of fact-based journalism, right? So you saw in Atlanta, what, two nights ago, I think? It was, <clears throat> it was anti-racism uh, protests breaking out all over the place. That we can, we could link this, that this is immediately linked to racism. And let me just tell you, <clears throat> I've lived in Virginia, I've lived in North Dakota, I've lived in Kentucky, right? I've lived in California. That's where I've spent, right, what I would call enough time to, to, to learn about the people. And let me tell you, there's racists in this country. There's not many of them, though. The vast majority of these people all around this country are good people. And when you need help, they will help you. And the shit that you see on TV on a nightly basis is not our country. It's what they can put on TV to make you watch. And so, again, if you haven't subscribed to Glenn Greenwald, um, do it. I mean, it's he to me, he's one of the few professional journalists. Um, he's one of the few professional journalists, you know, in the nation. And when you find those people, you know, bookmark them, subscribe to their stuff. And they write thoughtful, insightful, factual based. Right. Uh, stuff. And, and let me tell you where this this takes us again. You know, so what was the science ever behind six feet? Can you show me the science that says that six feet is appropriate? Uh, where does that come from? Did somebody just pull that out of their ass? Uh, six feet. Well, what is that? Well, you know, we figure it's double arms interval. Well, does is that relevant to germ, you know, half-life in the air or some shit like that? You know? Is it relative to the distance between Lincoln's grave and, you know, Gettysburg? I don't know. What What is it relative to? Why is six feet important? Can you show me the science of that? But, we, you know, again, journalism doesn't do that anymore. It's, oh, six feet. Trump says social distancing isn't important. Jam it up his ass. The whys don't matter. And so where this takes us, I got an email a little this morning from a friend of mine. Okay. And um, this is uh, a report. National Intelligence Council, foreign threats to the 2020 U.S. federal election. This is declassified by the Director of National Intelligence, Haynes, on 15 March 2021. So here's, here's what the email says. So that's what he sent me. thought you might find the attached declassified National Intelligence Council assessment of foreign actors' efforts in the 2020 election of interest. Russia backed Donald Trump. Iran backed Joe Biden. No surprises there. Interesting that China was assessed as sitting on the sidelines. Seems to me that indicates they are confident in their current position and strategy, and they believe world affairs are moving in a direction favorable to China. Now, you know what my first thought was? Why would I believe anything in these assessments anymore after what I've seen? 
Same thing when the FBI opens their mouth now. I don't believe them anymore. And I don't believe them because we have a media that, that, that seizes on who it impacts before they seize the truth. And, I, you know, again, I, how far does this have to go before it turns around in some way, shape, or form? Where we have a nation that, that or at least a, a journalist that served the nation that believe in the truth wherever the truth takes you. I mean, that's we are so far removed from that. I mean, let me tell you, one of the, one of the great efforts on a daily basis is, is to find people that write about the truth. And it is, it's crazy. It's like playing the emperor's new clothes on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, Glenn Greenwald, G-L-E-N-N, Greenwald. And, uh, yeah, the, the Teen Vogue thing. Uh, we saw, I think the guy's the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Now. He gets drafted, and they dig up his tweets from when he's 15 or some shit. And he's, you know, then he's on TV apologizing, saying, I'm not a racist, I'm not a homophobe. You know, I just, I, I said something stupid on Twitter when I was 15. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's uh, honestly. And then, and then so, and so to me, this is, this is the, this is the worst part of this shit. So you do, you, you make that mistake and you apologize for it. And there's nothing in your, Subsequent personal, professional life that indicates anything that you said is valid. And that's not good enough for people. I mean, what kind of fucking, what kind of fucked up world are we living in? Run by who? Like I told you, those sanctimonious motherfuckers, you don't think they have shit in their closet? And they hide. They hide it the whole time. God, I hope they find never find out about this shit, right? I'd be out too. Well, if you're a part of that, I hope, I hope, I hope they do find out about your shit, and I hope you, they throw you out with the trash, right? Just like you've shown other people the door, and the lack of moral courage. Because see, Teen Vogue has 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 an opportunity to make a statement to everybody who follows that publication. Hey. We accept her apology. We've looked into her background. She made a stupid mistake as a teenager. They got blasted out to the world. When most teenagers are too stupid to understand the ramifications of the things they say. We accept her apology. We accept her personal record. And she will be the editor of Teen Vogue. We believe in her. That they have a chance, but they roll over like everybody else does in the wake of this vigilante cancel culture shit. So, what we should look for is the next person who stands up and says, "No, I'm not. I'm not firing anybody. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say." So, with that said, good morning to you. Um, on, on the uh, segment today with Greg and the chef, honestly, it's very fun. We kind of go around and we do my favorite or the best. And we ask each other questions. Your favorite, and then we fill in the blank. And then we talk about our favorite stuff. It's, it's, it's fun. 
It's fun. So it's it's appropriate for Friday. So uh, Whitney Houston sings the national anthem on the 19th day of March. Good morning to you. And this is dedicated to everybody who's got information about whoever made this decision at Teen Vogue. I hope at some point that you expose them for the hypocrites they are. Because nobody goes through life without making mistakes. And I hope they get their shit thrown out in the street. And I hope they have the same thing happen to them that they've done to somebody else. In something that was clearly a mistake of youth. And there's nothing, and I don't, I don't know her from shit, right? I don't read Teen Vogue. I'm just sick of this shit that you can't make a mistake in life. So this is hoping that everybody who's got some shit on whoever this person is that fired this woman, right, says, you know what? I'm sick of this. How about this? What? And fires it out there. Yeah, look at this text message. Oh, yeah, listen to this little video she sent me. Yeah. I hope that shit comes home to roost and you're humiliated and run out of your job and you get the same kind of justice that you gave to somebody else. So on that cheery note, have a load of this.
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Time for us to check the news. Just got an email from Libby. She says, yep, that's what it's going to take. Go Trump on them. Well, you know, and again, I mean, their hate for Donald Trump. Again, Donald Trump is his own worst enemy, in my opinion. But he would have got reelected were it not for COVID. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, <clears throat> but... The thing Donald Trump did, I think, that, that that made him appeal to the segment of voters that elect the president and that they're not on the right, they're not on the left. Well, they're, they're not on the right or left. They're those voters in the centers, right? Was he didn't take, he didn't accept their bullshit and he threw it back in their face. That's why his Twitter account was so important, right? It was his way to communicate directly through the American people and bypass them. And it infuriated them. Right? It infuriated them. Hey, l- let me give you another one. Right? See, this narrative only works one way. Right? Um, Jeremy Lin plays in the NBA D League. Okay? In a game, he got called COVID. He got called COVID. And if you, if you read... The innuendo in the stories, the guy who called him that was black. Jeremy Lin came, comes out to talk about it. He says, but I don't want to name anybody. Why not? And it's not seized upon because it's not part of the narrative. The narrative is white racism in this country. And so that that's not a story. Right? That's not a story. And he and why doesn't Jeremy Lin want to do that? Because of the backlash that he would suffer as a player if he outed somebody in a in a in a league dominated by black men. That's a little bit of an interesting story, right? But again, it doesn't fit the narrative that's being shoved down everybody's throat that this is a racist country, and it's not. 
But they have they have gotten to the point where they have incredible influence in the American media. And it's all based on video from George Floyd's death. That's what is the catalyst to all of this. See, we told you so. So, I'm telling you, put your helmet on, get ready, because when the verdicts come in in that case, and they aren't the way everybody has been told they're going to be, stand the fuck by. And if you live downtown someplace, you better pack, you better start fortifying your shit right now. And that's no bullshit. That's no bullshit. Um, time to check the weather right now. First of all, in Quantico, it is sunny and 45 down the coast. Camp, what? Camp Lejeune is partly sunny and 47. That's what it says. 29 Palms, thank God. Sunny and 60. Camp Pendleton. Sunny and 50. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy and 70. Okinawa, dark cloudy, 71. Darwin is warmed up too. Dark cloudy and 80. And in Oslo, Norway, they've cooled off. Partly sunny and 36. Currently, at the home of All Marine Radio, it is here in Southern California. It is sunny and 52. Looking for a high today of 66. Yes, 62 tomorrow. 66 on Sunday, which means it'll be 66 tomorrow. 65 on Monday. 67 on Tuesday. What's up? Here's an email. Tell me about your second COVID shot. Well, I did my yard work, so I mowed the front yard. I edged and mowed and swept and did all my yard work yesterday. Okay, so I did all that. Um... And um, in anticipation that this shot might get me, because I've, I've, I've had all kinds of people say, oh, yeah, that second shot, shot you know, it messed me up. So um, I did all that. I recorded uh, the segment you'll hear in, uh, in a little bit here um, with Kim and Greg. And then <clears throat> after that, I uh, took a shower Hopped in my truck, and I drove up to the Long Beach VA Medical Center. Um, so I walk up. I show them my ID. and uh, Actually, I show them my ID and my little shot record. And um, so they asked me 15 questions. Uh, in the last two weeks, have you been in contact with anybody who has COVID? Uh, no. In the last two weeks, have you uh, tweeted anything racist? No. Um, you know, and so it goes, right? So they ask you all, you stand there and they ask you all these questions. No, 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 no. So then I walk in and the woman's got a coat on with your name on it. So I say, hey, Lenora, how are you? And she looks up like... She's supposed to know me. I'm like, you don't know me. Your name's on your coat. She starts laughing. She says, I forget. I said, yeah, I figured. She goes, so we're chit-chatting. She's like, okay, go in there. So I go in. I have have my card to the lady, the nurse standing there. She says, okay, go to station 10. So I go to station 10. I sit down. There's this nice nurse sitting there giving a shot to somebody else. And she goes, I'll be with you in one minute. And I said, okay. 
So, like, I'm sitting in this chair, and her desk is to my left, okay? So I'm, like, directly to my left. My left elbow could sit on her little workspace, but I didn't do that because I thought that might be assuming too much. So anyhow, I, um, I'm i sitting there, and she says, well, would you like this shot in your left or your right arm? I said, I don't really care. I got the last one in my right arm. Um but you're on my left side, so wouldn't it be easier if she just fired up my left arm? She said, it would be. I said, okay, let's do that then. So she starts laughing. She says, to me, she says, well, how's your day been? I said, well, it's been pretty good, you know. I said, I got a bunch of stuff done in preparation for getting the second shot because I've heard that, you know, people uh, get sicker from it than the first one. She said, yeah, that, tends, that seems to be the trend. She said, but everybody's different. She said, but a lot of people do. Because there's a little bit more of, the, I don't know what she said, a little bit more of blah, 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 blah. And and so she said, well, what did you do to get ready? And I said, well, you know, I, I did some yard work and I uh, had to record something for a podcast I do. And then she says, so what kind of podcast do you do? So then we then we get into we get into post-traumatic winning right in the middle of getting my VA shot. And she starts asking me a question. And she said, do you have a business card? I said, of course I do. And I didn't. Right, so I write my shit on a piece of paper, and uh, and it, but I had a fun time. Um, and so um, yeah, and so I, I came home. Then I went to the store, right, and just bought stuff. So Colleen would have something to eat, and um, Colleen had a tough day yesterday. She didn't get accepted to one of the schools that she really wanted to go to. And so she came home and she told me. And and I was working in my studio, in, the, in the, my video studio in the garage. And and then she kind of disappears. And I'm like, as her dad, <laughs> I'm like, and I yell, Colleen. And I hear nothing. I'm like, oh, she's somewhere crying. So then I go looking for her. And <laughs> she comes out of the bathroom. <laughs> and her eyes are full. I said, hey, I'm sorry, man, but this is how life is. I said, um, I said, fuck that school anyway. I said, they don't want you? Fuck them, okay? And you're going to find a better place to go. And I said, Colleen, but let me tell you, this is how life is. Uh, when life closes a door to you, you know, as my grandmother used to say, Michael, look for the window. So I'm going to tell you the same thing, Colleen. Look for the window, right? And find a way to get through that window. And this is just how life is. Okay? It doesn't always go your way. I said, I'm really sorry. I wish there was something I could do, like go up there and take a flamethrower to that shit, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Take a flamethrower to, <laughs> to, to that thing. You, you, know, um, you know, when your kids hurt, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hurtful, right? The um, so the um, anyway. So I'd gone to the store and uh, and and bought some stuff and came home and kind of waited and <laughs> waited for. Uh, and waited for that, uh, um, waited for whatever was going to happen. 
to happen. And uh, and nothing ever happened. So I started working last night. Um, email. Good morning, Mac. I enjoyed yesterday's show with the guys and their insight on the United States Marine Corps and the military. What you guys discussed yesterday is running rampant in public safety, too. It's very disconcerting that the Marines and other branches have become so politically polarized and soft, for lack of a better word. But I'm glad you boys aired your grievances, and I'm sure it didn't fall on deaf ears. By the way, how many heavy hitters in the upper echelon listen? That's Big Dave in Backerville. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody sent me something about where All Marine Radio ranks um, on Apple, and but Will doesn't believe it because that's not true. And so... Um, so I, I know that people listen. I mean, going on five years. And I think one of the things I've always tried to do with my shows is bring on, you know, smart, uh, articulate people who can footnote the shit they say. And it's been the way I've always done it. It's what I'm, it's what I'm biased to. I, I have a bias to the truth. And, um, and, you know, let me tell you, I mean, I, if you listen to yesterday's show, I said, look, I mean, a Marine Corps organization takes on an individual journalist to the embarrassment of the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force and the United States Marine Corps. And you haven't heard a word from anybody. I said, look, I, I choose to believe that the commandant at some point is going to is gonna at least be asked about this and comment on it. I also believe the commanding general of 2nd MEF is not going to simply say, yeah, nothing to see here. But I got, I, got, I got a text message this morning that said, if they don't make a comment on Friday afternoon addressing it, they'll never talk about it. And if that's where leadership of the institution is, I mean, God help us. God help us. And so, I mean, to me, it's, 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 you know, I can't, I can't stand up and tell the truth because there's all these lawyers that are telling us all this shit and it's just not going to be good at the end of the day. Um, you know, I think the world leads, needs more leaders who don't take counsel of that stuff. Right. And they lead. And if at some point they tell you to, like, like this thing with teen Vogue. So you decided after all these interviews and all the people you could hire, this is the, this is the person that is going to lead your magazine, website, blah, 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 blah. That this is the person to lead this organization. And then you find out that in, in his or her background, well, let's just say in her background, she's a woman of color too. I don't know what, co- I mean, I don't know what color she is, but clearly she's a woman of color. And you have a decision to make. We can stand up and we can say, no, that's not what we believe in. We believe people do make mistakes. We we believe people can overcome them. We won't be part of this cancel culture thing. I will not be bullied by the mob. She is a wonderful person, wonderful human being, and she made a mistake when she was 17. We accept her apology. We believe her. We won't be part of this. Rolled over, right? Rolled over like... uh, 
like Joe does when he goes out and lays in the sun. It's, I mean, it's sickening. It's sickening. And, and, and I mean, to the point where, I mean, you have, again, and, and that's why the Glenn Greenwald story is so important. Okay? The Glenn Greenwald story is so important because what he's arguing for is facts-based journalism. And that's why I asked with the CD story this morning, right? Dr. Fauci's gone on TV. Where did six feet come from? Did they just pull that out of their asses? Did they just pull six feet out of their asses? Because now it doesn't seem so important. So where did it come from? And so if you don't have journalists, and, and so the first inclination of the journalists is to see this through their agenda lens, which is, does it help or hurt Donald Trump? And if it helps Donald Trump, then I've got to find something to, 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 to negate this. If it hurts Donald Trump, then I need to pump this up. Never ask a hard question about it, or only ask a hard question if you're on the opposing side of it. But they don't even do that. And that's where the country is today. And just like, so in Atlanta, right? The evidence so far that I've seen by responsible grown-up journalists say this guy had a problem with a sex addiction. His roommates corroborate that. Get what? What do you see? Oh, it's 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 all race based. That's and that's the narrative. And you know what echoes in my head um, is if you haven't seen the documentary, "What Killed Michael Brown," then I would recommend that you watch it. You can watch the trailer right now on YouTube. Right? And it's done by Shelby Steele. Okay? And in and in this, you hear... Okay? You hear him say, race is only used as a means to power. Okay, so all these groups that are screaming race, what are they doing? They're using that to build their own political power. He said, other than that, nobody cares. And so when I see this stuff and I see the groups that are screaming it the loudest, um, know that he's right. That this, this is them positioning themselves for greater political power. Did you see that Michael Brown's father, I think, just sued Black Lives Matter for $20 million? Or wants $20 million from them? So that's the kind of money that we're talking about. Okay.
Michael Brown's father, and Ferguson activists demand $20 million from Black Lives Matter. The father of Michael Brown and other activists from Ferguson, Missouri, are demanding financial support from Black Lives Matter after the organization revealed it raised over $90 million last year. And that was written on March 3rd, 2021. And so one of the things you see in, in this documentary, What Killed Michael Brown, are organizations that moved into Ferguson, used them to raise their profile and raise money, and then left. So again, when the truth doesn't matter, and again, what is the, what is the Washington Post, right? The truth dies in darkness. <laughs> you know, again, how many retractions do you have to do you have to print relative to your reporting to believe that you, your own bullshit that you don't that you don't have a problem, right? It's like the special operation community uh, uh, investigating itself and concluding, in spite of everything we've seen, that they don't have a problem, right? Right? You know. Run that shit by people who didn't see you in action and watch the way you lived, right? Watch the way you drank in country where general order number one applied just as much to you as it did to everybody else. Watch the way that you flaunted the rules all the time and then ask them what they think. People that that, people that know, right? They know it's bullshit. All right. Um, Okay. A little reminder to everybody. Um, I've started doing a, a seminar online, post-traumatic winning seminar. And, uh, if you'd like to be a part of it, um, I w I would love for you to be a part of it. Um, and, and let me tell you, you're going to meet people that you've never met. You're going to, uh, have, I think a really, really cool experience as, uh, as we get together on a weekly basis. And the first six weeks are, we watch an hour of the presentation and then we come together and we talk about them. And let me tell you, I, it's, it's, it's cool, cool, cool shit. As people begin to learn about how they can live a great life with shit that's been in their life forever. Shit that's been in their life forever. And, um, yeah, so if you're interested in that, shoot me an email. Or you can, if you're on Facebook, um, the group that supports that, um, let me give you the, uh, it's called Post Traumatic Winning Seminar Support. You can look that up and, and you can you could just join that group. And in that group, what you'll see is you'll see uh, when the next uh, seminar is forming. And again, all you got to do is hop on a Zoom call. One night a week should start like around six o'clock Pacific time. So if you're on the East Coast, it'd be nine o'clock. Goes for about ninety minutes, and I'm telling you, you will, I, you will, you will, you will enjoy the shit out of it. The people are are awesome. Um, shy at first, and then uh, as they relax a little bit, they begin almost on a weekly basis. Somebody else will click off safe and say, "Well, let me tell you about me." And here's why I'm here. I thought my drinking was an issue, but here's what I've discovered. My drinking started after my brother was killed. And I've never really dealt with that. I've never really talked about it. 
And so it's, like I said, it's pretty cool stuff. So again, on the Facebook group is called Post Traumatic Winning Seminar Support. Uh, you can join that group. It's a public group. And then after you finish, there's a private group called um, Post Traumatic Winning uh, Graduate Support Group. And so that's an ongoing discussion by people that have already been through the program. So you'll be, you know, you can you can uh, join that group too. So Post Traumatic Winning kind of expanding. Um. So, uh, so that's Brett's pretty cool stuff. All right. With all that said, uh, it is Friday, and um, Greg Lotus and Kim Holmes uh, joined me. We recorded this yesterday, and uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, mostly talking about food. So, without further ado, here they are. Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara. And you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. If it's Friday, then that means Greg Lotus joins me. Greg, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Happy to be aboard. Yeah, well, it's good to have you. And also joining me from Grand Forks, North Dakota, is Kim Holmes. Kim, how are you? Good morning, Mac. (laughs) Good morning. We're taping this, so it kind of got Kim sideways right there. Um, You guys ever sing karaoke? Yes. What's your go-to song, Kim? You got the right string, baby, but the wrong yo-yo. Who sings that? <laughs> Dr. Feelgood and the interns. Really? Is that in your key, or do you just like the song? I did, No, it's from about 1956, 57. Really? It was a song I heard growing up in Ohio. Now, my, uh, my go-to song is uh, Anything Soul. Anything so that's not a go to. Anything is not a go to. Go to. I don't have an anything so. Okay. All right. Song because I'm not a karaoke guy. All right. I'll accept that. Greg, are you a karaoke guy? Not in the least bit. I'd rather stab myself with a pen in the eye. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I'm not either. Hey man, how about you, Mac? I've never done it, but if I did, this is my song right here. I this guy sings right in my key. I can sing this. I could stand up at a concert and sing this, and nobody would know it was me. They would think it was Toby <laughs> Keith. No shit. I swear to God, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm not even. I'm not. I'm not even joking about that. The uh, I want to do. I want to do something. I don't. We've never done anything like this, but let's do. I want to do a thing, the best. Okay, and so we'll go around the wheel, and, um, and it's either the best or your favorite, and then each one of us has to like throw it out there, and then we'll all answer it, okay? All right, so yeah. here's – I'll start. Your favorite all-time condiment. Kim? My favorite all-time condiment, condiment. would be sriracha. Sriracha. Why? Uh, I used to serve that in the Blue Parrot Breakfast Club. 
I've discovered it in uh, West Seattle in a Chinese grocery store. And uh, it was on every table in the morning. And I would put it on my eggs or on my potatoes mostly. And everybody was, there was a bottle of ketchup and a bottle of sriracha. And everybody reached for the sriracha first. Got it. All right. All right. Greg, your all-time favorite condiment. God, sriracha is tough to beat, but I am a huge Texas Pete fan. Texas Pete? And what is that? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a, a hot, sauce. hot sauce. Hot sauce, yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, the sriracha story is actually really cool, the way that guy started. Uh, he did it yeah. himself in his, in his basement there, and now he's a multi-billionaire. Um, but... Uh, the Texas Pete is kind of a little bit duller Tabasco sauce. It's got a little different flavor profile. And my kids mm-hmm. won't eat eggs or hash browns or f- fries or whatever um, without Texas Pete on it. I'll be darned. That's cool. My favorite condiment is Montreal steak seasoning. Oh, that's not a condiment, that's a spice. It's the same thing. That's it. That's a no. good call. Yeah, it's my question. It's exactly the same thing. The um well, I put that stuff on everything. I put it on yeah. ve- I put it on vegetables, I put it on steak, <laughs> I put it on chicken, I put it on everything. And Of course, cuz it's Canadian. Oh my god, it's not even Canadian. Yes it is. They just use the name the guy no, who invented sorry, it. Sorry, pal. No, the guy who invented it, his name is Larry Montreal. He lives in Fresno. Yeah. Bullshit. It's it's Canadian. Don't don't try to hold this shit. It is absolutely it's absolutely Canadian. As you're Googling right now. How can you tell? Montreal seasoning. They're made by uh McCormick, that's an American company, bro. No, listen. No, it can't be true. First of all, McCormick adopted it, and they didn't even call it Montreal Steak Spice when they brought it over to the States. They just said Steak Spice. Listen to this. What are you, the Montreal Steak Spice historian or some shit? Don't try to run my own game on me. Okay. When That's you said when you said Larry Larry Montreal, I throw the bullshit flag from here to Fargo. <laughs> okay, so you've been around me before, okay? That's a, it's like that's not a unique talent. Okay. But just cuz it has the word Montreal and it doesn't mean it comes from Canada, bro, right? Eh? Oh. <laughs> it, it better. Are you kidding me? The um all right, so who's next? Kim? Either your favorite or your best blank. Oh, wow. Seafood? Favorite seafood, Greg? Well hold on, hold on. Are you are, are you qualifying it saltwater, freshwater? Do you wanna do you wanna No, I was gonna go with a lobster roll. Okay. Well, you got to go last, okay? It's a little bit—it's part of being a gentleman, but I don't want to get into your knickers like that. But um, you go last, so because you asked a question, and you're hosting the question. So, freshwater or saltwater, Greg? Favorite fish? Seafood. Seafood means sea, uh, not lake. 
Yeah, favorite fish is uh, brook trout. Give us a historical origin of Greg Lotus and the brook trout. Well, for, well, we call it speckled trout in Canada, um, but they uh, they're native to you know cold water mountain streams, and the reason, well, part of the reason is nostalgia that it's my favorite because. When I was young, um, my dad used to take me to this uh, fishing spot where we'd get out of the truck, we'd leave at like 4.30 in the morning and have to walk through uh, thick woods. And then um, because I was, you know, a lot young then, like I'm talking five, six years old, um, we'd come to an opening uh, where the lake was, uh, that the stream fed into, or not really a lake. It was more of a beaver dam, uh, pond type of thing, but crystal clear water, like had no problem bending over to drink in it, but he would have to put me on his back, uh, because he had hip waders and he'd put me on this big rock, um, that was out there and just leave me there with uh, a bucket of worms and my line and a hook. And you catch these, you know, 8-inch to 12-inch. If you got a 14-inch one, that was like a dream come true. Um, but usually we fish Usually we fish uh, the streams in, it's called Pitch Creek, um, where we have to ask this one farmer's permission um, to go down his land, and you have to crawl down some rocks and everything, and everything's overgrown and the creek is, you know, not even as wide sometimes as your rod length. And these fish are so spooky. But when you catch them, um, if you look them up on the internet, speckled trout or brook trout, they have the most amazing colors on them. Um, And when you take them home, all you do is uh, before you leave the stream, is you cut the heads off, you run a knife from their butthole up, and then uh, run your thumb through the bloodline and get that all out. But the meat is as pink as uh, British Columbia salmon. And all you do is when you get home uh, is you take it, roll it in some flour with a little salt and pepper, and put it in a pan uh, that's got some melted butter in it, and you fry it a little bit on each side, maybe three, four minutes each side. And then when it comes on your plate, you can grab that backbone and rip it out. But the best part of of the fish is I eat the, the crunchy tail, um, but that pink meat, uh, it's, it's, and where it, it lives in that cold stream. Um, but I know that it's a very good fish because my father-in-law who has been a guide for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, who's since passed now, but, uh, for walleye and stuff like that, when he came to Thunder Bay and we went fishing and he ate it, he said by far it was the best fish he's ever tasted. And he's worked in Alaska and California and all these places. So it's part nostalgia, but, heart uh, taste they don't sell the fish commercially it doesn't come like that so you have to catch it yourself so without a doubt it has to be speckled trout that rhymes by the way 
without a doubt, it has to be speckled tar. I would say I eat salmon the most often. But if if I were to go to a restaurant, the the thing that I ask about is Chilean sea bass, which yeah. again I I've had it be absolutely delicious. It's not the cheapest fish I'll ever buy. Uh, and I've had it be okay. So I asked to make sure that the waiter or waitress would absolutely recommend it. If they say yes, by all means, then Chilean sea bass. Uh, if not that, it's uh, it's salmon. And if, God forbid, I'm in walleye country, it's walleye. So Chilean yeah, sea Max, bass would be number one. So that would be my favorite. Max, yes, you know, when you say when you say – uh, it's not the cheapest fish, but here's the thing: when you go out to eat, when you go out to eat it, and they recommend it, you have no problem paying it because it's that good, right? Oh, without a doubt. No, it's I I I I, I want to say I only had Chilean sea bass probably for the first time in 2013. I never had it. Really? Yeah. Yep. Where did you have it? Well, I was in Westwood on a date. And uh, she's very attractive, very, very attractive. And if she would have told me to eat the gum off the floor, I would have probably ate that. But she said, (laughs) (laughs) said, and let me tell you, I say that with all the sincerity I can muster in my heart. heart. And so she said, why don't we have the Chilean sea bass? And I said, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my introduction (laughs) And uh, it's at a restaurant in Westwood called The W, and I would go there right now to, to have it again. It was that good. Absolutely. Yeah, so that was my introduction. Oh. That was my introduction. I'm not proud to say that about myself, but I'm just telling you the truth, boy. Kim? It's better than eating gum off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. You're right. I would have, I'd have faked it. I'd have told her it was delicious. Um, how about you, Kim? What do you uh, – your favorite seafood fish seafood fish would be uh salmon really yeah king salmon from uh the stuff i used to get from alaska and uh we they'd catch it flash freeze it on the boat uh and uh the 20 below and then they get it down to uh they get it to shore and put it on freezer containers, shipped them to Billingham, and then they'd send it to me. And so I'd take it'd take these were 19 to 24 pound uh, fillets or uh, wow. whole fish, head off and gutted. And uh, and then uh, it takes two, two and a half days to thaw them in the fridge. Uh, and it was pretty hard to, unless you were a fisherman, to tell the difference between fresh. In fact, I it was even uh, I could do it on the uh, on our sashimi plates and our lobster. I mean, our uh, the Hammond lobster, our uh, uh, sushi plates. So since we're talking fish, I got to tell you this, Mac. Um, I got a call from Kim this morning. We were talking a little bit of COVID vaccination stuff, and I said that I was on the way to Fargo to go to take my son uh, to, to uh, dinner or lunch for a sushi place. 
And uh, because my wife and daughter are on their senior trip, they were supposed to go to Mexico, but they went to Florida, so I felt a little bad. So I took them to lunch. We went to this sushi place, and uh, it was highly recommended. He sat down. I wasn't in the mood for sushi. I waited to grab something else. But he ate, uh, started with uh, some appetizers of a two-piece surf clam. (laughs) Then he had... Two orders of calamari. Yes. Yeah. Then proceeded. <laughs> then proceeded to have six rolls of sushi. And what? Finished. Yeah, yeah. Then finished it off with uh, a tiny bowl of red bean ice cream, which I had never tasted, and it's fantastic. But he put on a damn show, and he's a freshman here, six um, one, about two forty. Uh, and I six rolls plus the appetizers and everything else. Uh, I am it, so yeah, impressed. It was a, oh, quite a show for for fish. Yeah, I I think so. Good God, six I, rolls. I, Greg, your turn. Hold on, let me read you this. Montreal steak seasoning, also known as Montreal steak spice, Canadian steak seasoning, or Canadian steak spice, is a spice mix used to to flavor steak and grilled meats. It is based on the dry rub mix used in preparing Montreal smoked meat, which come from the Romanian pastrama, the ancestor of pastrami, introduced to Montreal by Romanian Jewish immigrants. The, yeah. The primary there you go. Constitu- constituents of Montreal steak seasoning include garlic, coriander, black pepper, cayenne yeah. pepper flakes, dill seed and salt the spice recipe varies slightly among restaurants and manufacturers the montreal deli schwartz's is credited with the creation of montreal steak seasoning it is rumored that in the 1940s and 50s a schwartz's broiler man by the name of morris the shadow sherman began adding (laughs) the deli's uh smoked meat pickling spices to his own rub to his own ribbon steak in liver steaks, soon the customers began asking for it by name. Due to its popularity, it eventually became a norm in Montreal delis and steakhouses, such as nearby Moise's Steakhouse and the main deli steakhouse, to season their steaks similarly. So there you have it, the history of Montreal steak season. There I you love, go. You know what? The history of food to me, uh, from the history of the Caesar salad uh, to all the different, you know, uh, Kim has explained menudo. We've gone down the road of chicken feet. Uh, I love the history of food. You know, Mac, you, you say that, and it was funny because over the sushi meal, uh, we started talking about how to attack a buffet, um, the rules of it as far as not getting any soda, only drink water, don't mess with soup. Uh, or salad because they're or bread uh, because they always try to bring you buckets of bread and stuff unless the salad is like you know the restaurant is well known for that but when I said to my son do you know where Caesar salad originated he said no I said in Tijuana Mexico <laughs> and he said what I to- go yeah Wait, it originated today? in Tijuana Mexico today what today yeah, today. We talked about this today. <laughs> That's funny. 
And and what's funny oh, is awesome. if you look at the recipe for Caesar salad with the egg yolks and anchovies and the garlic and everything yeah. else, I don't know what the Tijuana guy was thinking, but he got it started. And they le- they use whole leaves of uh, romaine lettuce. They don't chop it up. It's like you grab it like uh, you would a burger and and eat it that way. And yeah. um, I've had some I've had some ants or zias as we call them in Italian um, that make their own Caesar salad dressing from scratch. And it'll make your eyes water sometimes with the amount of garlic in there, but God damn it, it's so much better than the, the bottled stuff. Well, oh, you they, can't eat bottled stuff because we, because they blend Parmesan cheese and it just ruins yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kim can tell you what he was thinking. He, he was thinking he didn't want all that shit to go bad, right, Kim? Yep, that's exactly right. The power went out, and uh, he had he had no refrigeration, and that's what he had in stock. <laughs> I love that stuff, and a, and a culinary legend was born, big time legend. Well, yep. well, Mac, do you know the story of how how uh, wings uh, in Buffalo became a thing? Is there was a, a bar where a mother and a father owned it and uh, the son brought a whole bunch of friends in close to closing time and i think it was a little italian woman and she had nothing to to eat except some chicken drummies so she deep fried them whipped up this uh, concoction of hot sauce tossed it out there and then put it out to those guys and she chalked it up as, you know, a bunch of drunk guys eating food because so, they were just raving about it until they came in the next day and wanted more. She put them on the menu, and it's still the number one spot in Buffalo to get um, buffalo wings. So you talk about the history of food. Wow. It's amazing. It's necessity. Yeah. yeah, but that is. I'll tell you what. My in-laws were from Buffalo, and I remember the first time I ever had those things. And holy smokes, man, it was, <laughs> um, I don't know how many years ago, uh, it was the first time I kind of went over there, uh, when Susan and I were going out and, uh, and, uh, my father-in-law was making them and, uh, and, uh, I'd never had them before and, uh, they're just fantastic, right? Fantastic. I, just, yeah. I just had, I just had some wings from Parrot's K last night and, oh, uh, my God. buddy brought some over with uh, different variations of heat, but also they also have peanut butter wings, which sounds crazy, but they're fantastic. Um, and you can get your choice of dips like jelly or chocolate, which again, sounds crazy, but if you taste them, you'll love them. Um, but they have like Cajun shrimp pasta. They have pull boys, even up here in North Dakota. And obviously the food is frozen and stuff, but they do their damn best, but they do wings amazingly here. Yes, they do. Parents K is the best in town. Yep. There, there you have it. All right, Greg, yeah. your turn. Best what? Best what now? What's the question? We've been playing for like 23 minutes. No, I know, but I didn't know what we were talking about because we were talking about appetizers. No, or it's time. It's, it's time. No, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Anything. Best of? Best or favorite? 
Okay, I would say I got two, um, depending on the meal. But my Nona's gnocchi. Wait, no, no, no. You have to ask the question. Oh, okay. I'll, how about this then? Right. I will say best uh, side dish that you've ever had. Oh, that's a hard one. I'll go, side I'll dish, go to Kim first. Side dish is not an appetizer, right? No. Side dishes. So you know how you have your choices. When you order steak, right. there's side dishes. When right. you order a lobster, there's side dishes. So, Kim, what's your favorite side dish? Well, polenta. The first time I had it was in Switzerland. And uh, it was... Uh, Put on the side with a place plate of uh, liver uh, and onions, and a and a kind of like a gravy. And uh, oh God, I never had polenta before. I was twenty some years old. I didn't even know what the hell it was. And they made it with uh, grated cheese and 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 butter and milk. It was just fabulous, man. That was my first experience with a side dish. But if I had if I had a side dish, it would have to be potato salad. Oh, that's a quality one. Is that what you want? Well, wanted? it's it's it's. I mean, that's a very very broad question, and so I would say. Gen- yeah, that's why it's good, though. Right, I would say generally. That's a great question. I would what? say generally. Uh, mashed potatoes would be my favorite side dish. Uh, that go with yeah. a bar- variety of things. Uh, yeah. uh, my mom's the, my mom made pot roast with gravy and and oh. know, the carrot the carrots would saute in the gravy. Oh. And the gravy from my mom's pot roast on mashed potatoes, <sighs> right? Uh, turkey you know turkey gravy with mashed potatoes. <sighs> Mashed potatoes with so steak. Many, so many people mess up gravy, Max. So I, I would love to hear why you like gravy. Because there's a beef gravy, there's turkey gravy, there's chicken. You know, there's a whole bunch of gravies. And people mess it up by salting it too much or it's too thin or it's too thick. So gravy is a necessity when you're talking mashed potatoes. So tell me about your mom's deal. Well... Um, I would, first of all, gravy is the art, right? I mean, people could tell you to buy this meat. You could put this on it. Gravy is the art. And it's when I make Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, to me, everything else is, is easy, right? And, and, and the mandatory thing you have to excel at is the gravy. And Kim has tutored me for hours on gravy. Um, but, um, you know, watching my mom do it, right, smoking a cigarette and drinking a glass of Vin Rosé <laughs> out, of, out of the Ernest and Julio Gallo twist-off bottle that she had in the cupboard, I mean, it was like nothing. It's like, oh, gravy. Um, but now that I, I've learned how to make it right, it's Wondra and some cold water, you know, and it's uh, the art of mixing that with and, – and again – Salt and Making pe- a slurry. Right, with, with 
with salt and pepper. I mean, my mom didn't use a whole lot more than that. And it was absolutely delicious. On occasion, you know, her secret ingredient tended to be brown sugar to give it a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a sweetness and take some of the acidy taste out of some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, absolutely to die for and the right, the right thickness, not too runny, but it's, yeah. it's, it's the art form of cooking and, yeah, um, gravy. yeah, gravy. And, and again, my mom would make it with, uh, she made pork chops. Um, she would brown the pork chops and then, condensed milk and cream of mushroom soup and that would simmer for a couple hours and the gravy that comes out of that between the 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 juices that come out of the pork chops that are still in the pan and and the the seasoning on the pork chops with the condensed milk and the and the cream mushroom soup it is the most requested meal from my kids no kidding pork chop mashed potatoes and peas and you know what's funny is you talk about your mom and stuff. I remember uh, when my Nona used to come visit me in New York, and uh, they would stay, my Nona and Nona would stay for, that's Grandma and Grandpa, uh, for a week or 10 days. And I remember one time Heather cooking breakfast and uh, making bacon, and at this time she fried it. Now she bakes it on a raised rack because it's way better but she was going to toss the bacon grease and my Nona almost bitch slapped her back to Bangkok I mean like she said do you do you realize what you could do with that as far as making gravy for this or doing this or doing that and she uh, went, went and it cooled down and she filtered it out so it just left this white stuff there and then she, the next day she made some stuff with that gravy uh, or with that bacon grease and uh, Heather ever since we still have bacon grease in a jar in our fridge right now from our kids first holy communion 20 years ago right <laughs> we never said heather's scar heather's got ptsd from greg's nona the um okay greg you have to answer what is what is yours favorite song you know what yeah i know i'm i'm trying to think uh i am a one of the best things that i look forward to at easter or even christmas is heather makes these cheesy potatoes uh she makes cheesy potatoes and instead of just like breadcrumbs on the top she crushes zesta cheese crackers um and sometimes she does half with like the cheddar jack and half with pepper jack cheese but it's basically the store-bought hash browns and then she mixes in like the cream of mushroom soup and all that crap but um, mixed in and then topped, and it gets so crispy on the top that I'll tell you what, it's good the first day, but the next day there's a fight in our house for the cheesy potatoes. Um, I'll bet there is. So, when, yeah, when I go to a restaurant, if they have a cheesy potato uh, side dish, I go with that. Not Not that they can compete with, the home food, but some of them, they do a damn good job. So 
I think uh, for mashed potatoes to cheesy potatoes, I'm a potato guy on a side dish. Yeah, no kidding. The um, all right, here's one for you. Um, what is your go-to pizza, Kim? My go-to oh, pizza, yeah, is a pizza with sausage, mushroom, and onion. From any place in particular, or anywhere you yeah, go? Yeah, uh, any uh, wood-fired pizza. Any wood-fired, and that's it. Sausage. That's it. That's it. Sausage. Uh, mushroom? Too much on a pizza it ruins it. It's in the crust. All right. What kind of what yeah, kind of what kind of crust? Are you a thick crust guy? Thin crust guy? No. I'm a thin crust no. guy. Wood fired pizzas. Yeah. That I uh, had that in uh, in Mama Lola's in Florence. Whoa. Uh, where I work. Yeah. And uh, a uh, the guy the pizza guy wouldn't put onions on the pizza. I've always put no. onions on my pizza, and so uh, uh, I almost that's came over sin. the counter at them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a sin in Italy. Yeah, that's, you know, I didn't know that that Italian pizza is much different than American pizza. I thought, oh God, right? I yeah. I, I, I thought, and, you know, and, well, unless it's a, a Sicilian, the deep dish kind of stuff. Yeah, but I even, but I even, I mean, the reading I was doing one day said, yeah, Italian pizza is, you know, doesn't come with like the gobs and gobs of stuff that American pizza comes with. It is oh no, much more sparkly. No, well, they didn't have the money, Mac. Right. No, that's you know? that's what I love about. It. Well, even you know, how did uh, you know all the Italian meats? Why? Well, because they had to figure out a way to preserve their meats, and that's the way they did it. And, uh, and use the cheap cuts. Right, 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 right. How about yep. you, Greg? Your go-to pizza? What is it? Uh, without a doubt, um, I go up to Winnipeg um, to Deluca's, which is the yep. oldest uh, running uh, grocery store in in uh, Western Canada, and uh, they sell the, their dough there in a bag. It's like three or four dollars. Um, and you bring it home and Heather can get two pizzas out of one ball of dough. And yeah. all she does is roll it out and it's, uh, her sauce, which only can have San Marzan tomatoes. Those are a tomato that grow on one side of a hill in Italy. And they actually come with a stamp on the jar to make sure you know that you're getting those type of tomatoes. And it sounds crazy, yep. but wow. it's cr- crushed San Marzan tomatoes and salt and pepper. That's it. And then That's she right. puts on, yeah, she puts on the Buffalo mozzarella, uh, which yep. is not mozzarella that comes from Buffalo. It's, <laughs> it's a type of cow and some basil. And I do it on the barbecue. Um, I have a pizza stone, uh, so we do that. So it gets the black char on the bubbles, and the bottom is cooked perfectly. And then when it comes out of the uh, oven, we have a special olive oil that we only use for that pizza because it's very expensive, but it's in the taste, and she drizzles some olive oil on it uh, with that fresh basil, and the kids go nuts for it. That's it. That's it. The San Marzano tomatoes. That's that's where it's at. And oh, yeah. and you, you you just crush them up in your hands, or you can buy crushed already 
uh, process. Yep. But, uh, it's got to be San Marzano, and you're right about the, uh, it's got to be labeled. Whether I used to yeah. buy those in in number ten cans for the restaurant. Well, she almost shit her pants when I brought the cans of tomatoes home because you can get them for a dollar ninety five at Target, and these ones were eight bucks a can. <laughs> and I said, I said, there, just wait till you try them. And Mac, you think it's probably crazy, but when you try the tomatoes that are grown here um, versus the San Marzano tomato, it's it's honestly night and day. Yeah, Come it is. on. No, it, it makes that. the best seven dollars $7 better. Oh, what's that? Seven dollars better. And then, so what do you have on the? Okay, so after she builds that, what do you put on the pizza? That's it. That's your go-to pizza. Yeah. All right, mine. Oh, that's, that is my. That's a true. That's a true Napoleano pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's all I want, Mac. Mine is more ghetto than either one of you. Mine's uh, mine is uh, Pizza Hut. Pepperoni lovers pizza. Oh, I love pizza. <laughs> Thin crust. I love pizza with garlic, with garlic, uh, kind of garlic butter on the on the on the on the yeah. Cru- yeah, on the top. The yeah, they brush. Yeah, the crust. they brush the crust. That's yep. my go-to. That's my go-to. Nothing I'm a, wrong with that. I'm a supreme pizza guy on a thin crust. I'm like that. I'm all right. Yeah. But I like that too. My go-to, right? My go-to is that is my go-to pizza. All right, Kim, you're next. Okay, what is your favorite cut of steak? Oh, this is easy. Kilo? Oh, ribeye, by far. I mean, you know, people can talk the porterhouse because you get, or the T-bone because you get the strip and the filet. Filet. If you're talking, if you're talking filet with me, we can't be friends because it doesn't have anywhere near the fat and plus it's too goddamn small if i'm sitting down for a meal and i don't care how high it is or whatever blah 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 a ribeye and even here most of the time it's choice uh most grocery stores carry choice because only less than two percent or three percent of the meat um that's given out is is prime meat um you know as far as uh, the way it's labeled um but i'm a ribeye guy because of the marbling and i trim it up on the outside because yeah there's some fat on the outside and people get scared of that but the intermuscular marbling and stuff for ribeye and if you dare cook that thing anywhere near or past medium rare I will. I will crush your skull. <laughs> I used to be. I a, won't eat. I, it. I, I, I used to be a ribeye guy. I'm a fillet guy now. Are oh. you really? You delicate flower, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Let me just tell you how that started. It started. Um, Are you having a vagina? <laughs> <laughs> it started. Because oh man, that hurts! Come on, hey, he's got way better than that. Come on, are you kidding me? Um, uh, it started with buying some Nors, um, yeah, uh, steak uh, sauce, yeah, and uh, Bernay sauce, and uh, and so did ribeye, and then I said, well, let's just do let's just do fillets, and and I don't know why I liked 
the fillet better with Nors than I did. Now, it, and again, Greg's comments about all the marbling are all true, all true, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why um, the fillet tasted so good to me with Nors, but it did. And so I would say I'm I'm torn between the two. But see, Mac, you're talking about a steak with a little bit of sauce, and I make when I no. If you're just talking about steak, steak, I agree with you. No doubt, ribeye, ribeye. But I I can see your point because I make a steak au poivre, which is a French dish that you sear. Yes, you sear the meat in uh, in a hot uh, cast iron skillet. Take it out after three minutes aside, and the bits remain. And you put a, a brandy in to burn off, and then you add heavy cream, and then pepper, and and obviously salt or whatever. But uh, it makes the most amazing sauce. And with the fillet, with that, I could see how you would love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Kim? You know what? Uh, I. Cooked a uh, uh, prime rib in my oven. And I dressed it just like I did at the Sanders. But if you, when you cook it in the oven, uh, you start out with the temperature of the oven up uh, as high as it will go, 550 degrees. And I have a Wolf gas oven. And then uh, I put it in for five minutes a pound, depending on how the, the much the roast weighs. And it's and then at the end of that time, I shut the oven off and I do not open the oven door for at least an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes. And then it fish, finishes cooking. And then it's perfect medium rare in the center, all the way to medium on the ends. But, you know, you go. It's almost medium rare all the way through, but the ends are a little, little pink. But uh, what I like about it is the crust that is formed on that prime rib. That it's just crunchy, and I love the fat on a prime rib. I just it's think that's as good as the meat. <laughs> but that that would be my go-to. All right, who's next, Greg? Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think, and I, as I was just sitting here, um, I came up with this because it's not. It's best of anything, right? Yeah, best of anything. We've been doing food, okay. but you could do anything. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to say. What's the best thing something uh, somebody's ever done for you? Um. The best thing somebody's ever done for me was to look at me after a helicopter crash and tell me you're never going to get over this. Changed my life. Wow. Yep. Put me on a path to be able to do what I do today. Wow. Probably might might be the single most significant thing that's happened to me in my life. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah. No, I mean, hey, shit like that crushes people, right? Yeah. And let no, alone, I'm sorry. I'm right? sorry. I'm sorry you had to experience that. Honestly, but you know, most people, most of us do. I mean, look at you, right? Look at you. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, most of us go through stuff, you know, and, and I, you know, it's really interesting. And then others, others of us. Uh, so I'm doing this seminar on Monday night, this post-traumatic winning seminar. And uh, it's a pilot program. And from people all over the country that signed up to, to be part of it. And guy lives in Cincinnati. He's, you know, he's now he's a big guy. You know, he played football in college and, and he's a good dude. And so it was after the seminar and there's four of us hanging around talking on, 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 a, on a Zoom call. And he said, you know, he said, you know, my trauma is not cool like Max trauma is. You know, Max trauma is all like masculine and, and cool. He said, you know, it sucks and it's awful. He said, but, you know, mine's not like that. He said, he said, well, he said, and I don't know that I've ever even talked about this. He said, but I didn't start growing, you know, any kind of pubic hair until I was 15. I was like a junior in high school. And I used to get ridiculed every day at school. And you weren't alone, Max. You weren't alone. I was in the same boat. Well, no, that's not me. That's this guy telling me this, right? And and so I, I, I don't. I, or I was in the same boat as him. Sorry. Right. And so you hear this stuff, and you can remember at that age, it's just soul crushing, right? You know. And yeah. uh, and then another guy talked about how humiliated he was that his dad was a surgeon, and um, he he stopped being a surgeon to get involved in Amway and he did really good and in Amway and he made a ton of money and he quit being a surgeon and he told everybody, you know, how smart he was. And then the whole thing blew up and he, and he said, I don't know why I felt so much humiliation because of that, but I did. And so it's, and so, you know, people, you know, we have things happen to, to us in our lives that, I mean, rock us profoundly. And a lot of times we never talk about it. Another woman talked, you know, she just mentions this kind of offhand. She said, well, you know, when I was 15 and a half, 16, my parents sent me to a home for unwed mothers to have a baby. And then I gave the baby up. And then, you know, my mother used to ridicule me for giving the baby up. And they made me give it up. And... And she said, this is like probably the first time I've ever talked about it publicly. And you, I mean, people roll around with that stuff inside of them. And I, that's why I say I was so fortunate when that happened, you know, to have a guy there who had been through some stuff and, and people gave him that advice. And he had, it was very much an oral tradition. There was no diagnosis of PTSD at the time. And, uh, and he gave it to me and, uh, you know, and all of us from, uh, you know, Greg, you know, losing yeah. his incredible career in the NFL, Kim losing his joint, and all kinds of other things, stories that Kim could tell you, losing his father when he was six. Um, um, I just, I look at that now as such a um, such a blessing in my life that he was standing there that day. And he was, I'll never forget, I, I was, uh, you know, helicopter crashes, one guy's decapitated, three other guys are struggling to live we're trying to save and everybody's dying and uh and he comes up to me later and he he says how are you he goes how are you doing sir and i said i haven't really thought about it. i mean we've been busy all day so i haven't really thought about it and he looked at me and he, and he said you know you're never getting get get over this right and i told myself wow. i said yeah i said get the fuck away from me man i said i don't think the yeah. fucking therapist says that to the fucking patient right about fucking now so go the fuck away 
And he said, no, sir. Yeah, said, they do. He said, no, you know what, Greg? They don't. And that's the problem with therapists. No, I know. They ask but, them. But, they ask them what the lines mean. And then you never fucking go back. That's the problem with therapists. He, but he wasn't a therapist. That's yes, what I'm saying. He's yeah, the, they do. Right. He's, he, yeah. he's the best therapist I ever fucking had. And, uh, yeah. right? The real deal. Right. I mean, people that, you know, that they can help you, you know, through these, these, you know, through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, um, you know, he but and you I... might not know it at the time. Oh, you I might not no know idea. it at the time. No idea. No, no. But I'm saying his words. You know what? You know what I mean? And and then you reflect on it, and you have time to deal with it, and you say, Jesus Christ, I didn't realize it at the time. Get the fuck away from me! But that was the best deal, you know. Right. Well, and he, you know, so he and I never have another conversation about that. And uh, we kind of reconnect um, about a year and a half ago. And I go down. He lives east of San Diego in the mountains out there. And so I go to his house. And, you know, it's, it's they're your friends that you feel like you've never been away from, right? Um, and so we're hanging out. And I said, hey, tell me how you got that. You know, who gave you that? He said, well, I was in Okinawa. I said, I was a corporal with 3rd Reconnaissance Battalion. And he said, and I was standing outside. And uh, my first sergeant was standing outside smoking. And we're just in garrison. And one of our mass sergeants used to get off work every day and go to the package store and get a 12-pack of Miller Talls and um, and go up into his room. And he'd get drunk every night. And he'd pass out and come to work the next day. And he said, and I don't know if I made a face or I don't know what I did. But he said, my first sergeant standing there smoking a cigarette. And he looks at me and he says, you know he's just trying to get through the night, right? And he said, I was kind of embarrassed that he would, you know, think he had to explain this to me. And I just said, yes, first heart. And then he says, you know he spent a lot of time in Vietnam, right? And he said, uh, and I, he said, so he said, I said, yes, first heart. And then he said, he looked at me and he said, he took a long drag off a cigarette. He said, Whew. he said, you know you never get over that shit, right? And, um... He said, I looked at him and said, I didn't know that. And he said, he takes another drag off a cigarette. He blows the smoke out. He tosses the cigarette away. And he says, well, you fucking don't. And he walks away. Right? And But it was this oral tradition, right, where there was nobody else to help us, right? We took care of each other. And um, and that's how he got it. So it's just, And then, you know, where did those guys get it? From guys who fought in World War II? Where did they get it? Guys who fought in World War One and Latin America and in China and all the shit where Marines fought? So very much an oral history handed down, you know, between generations of guys. And I was very fortunate to have it. So. Well, I, I, honestly, I appreciate you uh, sharing that, that part of it because I've never heard that story. And, and so uh, I'll turn... Turn the uh, question over to Kim now. What's the best thing someone's ever done for you, Kim? Uh, whatever is done for me. Uh, probably uh, when uh, my father died, my uncle came. And uh, the one he was, uh, my dad was driving back to Annapolis. And he came in in his uniform and hung out with me for the afternoon and told me everything was going to be all right. But that was too bad. <laughs> but that, that's, that's something that's pretty uh, stuck with me for a while. 
How about you, Gilo? Best thing anybody's ever oh, done for you? Yeah. Well, just like you, it took me a little while to realize it, but the best thing I someone's ever done for me is my uh, principal in my high school when Ohio State called them, Ohio State called them and asked what kind of uh, player, what kind of guy I was, and uh, basically. I found out that night that he told them that I wasn't uh, good enough, that uh, I didn't have a good work ethic, and uh, I wouldn't amount to anything. And that, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, stuck with me, and um, it it made me want to prove him wrong. So uh, that's what gave me the fuel to start. Watching what I was eating, working out, uh, running hills at 11, 12 at night or in the morning uh, when I wasn't doing anything, getting up and and going to do something um, so that I would have an opportunity. And uh, the best part about it was when I got a scholarship, that was, you know, the first step. But then when I got drafted in the CFL and then signed my contract for the NFL I went back to high school and it was his last year and I walked right up to him and I said Mr. Murphy I'd like to thank you very much and uh, his eyes were wide open and he said do you want to thank me and I said yep I want to thank me because every time I wanted to not work out or stop a workout early I thought of the words that you told that that coach and uh, I turned right around and did the and did the opposite. So um, I'm a bitter son of a bitch when it comes to that shit. That's awesome. The um, Tom Brady, right? That's Tom Brady story too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, that's you know what? Like I said, he still has that that uh, picture of his uh, him and his shorts at the combine. You know that milky white body and can't throw a ball and do this and that, but they can never measure heart. They can never measure intelligence on the football field because some guys are not very good at school, but when it comes to football or other things, they're, they're just amazing. So, um, I mean, everybody's probably got a story like that. And, uh, but some of them resonate just a little bit longer than others. I think you gotta be a grudge holder. To have them really resonate, I have you know, you know I, I we run this double running of the O course when you go to Officer Candidate School, and I didn't really understand that you know you get up a rope using your legs. I hadn't done it a lot in high school. We didn't do it a lot, and uh, and uh, so I failed going up the second time. I I was like three feet from the top, and I'm trying to pull myself up, and I just I can't get up, and um. And I just got abused for it, and I felt I felt like a failure. And I have a painting of that rope here in my house. And every time I walk by it every day, and I look at it, and I always, and I, I remember thinking later um, that I uh, I never want to forget how shitty it feels to fail at something that you want to do. And that's why you that's why you use your head and you learn how to climb ropes, and you and you don't do stupid shit. Because someday your failure might cost you a dream, 
and and you don't want that to ever happen. So I've always kept that. So I think, and I think, yeah, I think you're right, Greg. Well, I think us grudge yep. uh, us grudge holders have stories like that. I know I do. I know yeah. I do. All right, last. I have the last question. So, your, your favorite ice cream, Kim? Oh, my favorite ice cream. Yes, and is fig ice cream from Vivoli's in Florence, a gelato place. And uh, I remember the first time I had it, I I didn't know you could make ice cream with figs, and it was the best thing ever. Wow. That's my favorite ice cream. Favorite ice cream. Gilo, favorite ice cream? No no question about it. Just plain vanilla bean ice cream. When the ingredients are cream and vanilla bean. <laughs> That's, I mean, I know they may maybe have one more or whatever, but Breyers makes uh, just, you know, obviously there's a, a couple places. One of them's in Thunder Bay. Uh, that served homemade ice cream. Uh, and that was one of their flavors was vanilla bean because vanilla beans are expensive and it's a labor-intensive process. But um, I just like that. And then there was a, a ice cream shop in Devil's Lake, North Dakota uh, that sold vanilla bean. And I asked them about it because they said all their ice cream is homemade. And I said, yeah, right. And they said, hey, come downstairs. So I went downstairs and sure as shit, they're making their ice cream by hand. And the irony of it, the irony of it is that place is now closed and the space is now a gym. Jesus. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah, But uh, I'm a vanilla bean guy through and through. Yeah, I'm a vanilla bean guy, too, with uh, Hershey's chocolate syrup. Oh God! Stop it! What? It's the best. Yeah, it is the absolute best. That's my go. <laughs> that is my go-to. Vanilla bean. You cannot beat it. Absolutely. No, you can't. It's, it's a real good ice cream. All right, boys. First of all, uh, fun stuff today. Um, hey, the- you know what? That's that's a good deal when you got to uh, spin the wheel on the best of. You know what I mean? No, I mean, it's yeah, funny. That was good. No, it's fun stuff. Uh, and, you and, know, we, and we don't have to talk about COVID. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for doing this. And, uh, it's our pleasure. Yep. No, My no. pleasure. And we'll talk to you next week. Looking All forward right, to it. Take care, boys. All right, boys. Take care, Bye-bye. Greg.